The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. It seems strange, does it not, that with just the turn of a page, Matthew takes us from the joy of the birth of Jesus and the Magi who come to worship Jesus to what is undoubtedly one of the most horrific scenes in all of the Bible. Little boys, two years old and under, are torn out of the arms of their parents and put to death. The scene cannot be sanitized, and it should not be ignored. It must be understood, however, within the larger context of the story of Jesus who has come to break the power of evil and to deliver his people from their enslavement to sin. If I were a craftsman, and I promise you I'm not, but if I were, uh, if I were a craftsman, I would spend a lot of time making nativity scenes that encompass the whole story of the birth of Jesus. An adult John the Baptist would be far off to one side, pointing towards Jesus, you know, something like, you brood of vipers. And then uh, I would have Zechariah and a very pregnant Elizabeth. And then in my nativity scene, there would be the annunciation by the angel to Mary. And the angel then speaking to Joseph in a dream. At that point, I think, I would have the Magi beginning their journey to Jerusalem. And then, of course, there has to be the Roman IRS agent who's there pointing Joseph and Mary toward the crowded village of Bethlehem. Shepherds would be in the field. Angels would be suspended in the sky. There would be a stable. There would be a baby in the manger. The shepherds would be all around worshiping as they bow. Then, then the scene at the temple would come next in Jerusalem where... Uh, the parents, Mary and Joseph, bring Jesus to be circumcised according to the law. And there would be righteous Simeon and Anna, who uh, in their old age get to receive in their arms the promise of the consolation of Israel. But then Herod would appear with the Magi. And then there would be a house in Bethlehem where the Magi are worshiping Jesus as they present their gifts. But then the nativity display would have to acknowledge something. Would have to acknowledge that evil was present and had already been at work. Up to this point in my nativity scene, joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. But if we leave out the next part, then we miss the point I made in Advent that a collision has taken place. When Mary conceived the Christ child, a collision took place that moved evil off its mark. 
And this means that the final pieces in my rather large uh, nativity scene would need to include wicked King Herod, Rachel weeping for her children, and an angel of God pointing Joseph and Mary and the child Jesus toward Egypt. As you read Matthew, you need to keep in mind the book of Exodus. In the early chapters of Exodus, there is an account that uh, is very similar to what we just read here at the end of our reading. You might recall that Pharaoh orders every son born to a Hebrew woman to be drowned into the river Nile. Within that story, right, we read then of the miraculous deliverance of Moses, the child Moses, and then how God uh, uses the daughter of Pharaoh not only to rescue the baby Moses, but then to raise Moses within the courts of Pharaoh. And then, of course, as the Exodus story unfolds, you read about this powerful confrontation that takes place. At first glance, we think it's between God and Pharaoh. But God employs Moses as his agent who stands on his behalf. And you remember those famous words that uh, Moses spoke to Pharaoh? Let what? My people go. And, and what we come to learn then is that the contest isn't between God uh, is it between God and Pharaoh? It is between God and the power of evil that has both encompassed Pharaoh and controls Pharaoh. And we need to keep this in mind because as Matthew tells his story of God's Savior coming into the world, we see that this battle between God and the power of evil continues. Only this time, the confrontation is between two houses. The house of David, the rightful king of Israel, and the house of wicked Herod. If you were reading through uh, your Bible this year, you may have read Matthew 1 yesterday, and I hope you didn't skip over the genealogy. Never skip over the genealogies. Go ahead, read them. They're very important. In fact, Matthew's genealogy in chapter 1 is like a key that unlocks the vault which contains the good news that Matthew is telling us. The genealogy helps to make sense of why Herod is so bent on destroying the child that the Magi have come to worship. Interestingly, isn't it that Herod and all of Jerusalem are troubled by the news of the Magi? That, that's what Matthew tells us. That when the Magi come and say, we have, we have followed his star and we have come to worship the king of the Jews, Herod, who has all of the power, hears this and he's troubled. And Jerusalem is troubled with him. What follows is instructive. Herod assembles the chief priests and the scribes, that is, the people who should know the information about the coming of the king of the Jews into the world. And he asks them, what does this mean? He needed to be told where the Christ was to be born. 
And upon hearing this news, he gathers the Magi, he sends them off to Bethlehem, and he tells them to report back to him that he would also want to come and worship. And what this scene shows us and what we need to pay careful attention to is how deeply evil was embedded into the house of Herod and also within the religious life of Israel at that time. Keep in mind that the Magi travel a long distance over many, many months to come and worship the king of the Jews. Do you know what is the distance from Jerusalem to Bethlehem where Jesus was? Less than six miles. Basically the same distance from Durkee Town to McDonald's in Fort Edward. It's not that far. The Magi are only led by the star. Herod and the religious leaders of Israel read the very word of God and are not moved by it, not even to travel six miles. Why? Well, Herod, like Pharaoh before him, was held in bondage by evil. And this is what evil does. It darkens. It destroys. But the Magi are recipients of grace and they respond with obedience to God's gracious outpouring of light. While Herod and the religious leaders of Israel deny the light of God that is poured out in the prophetic word. And as they deny that light, the darkness only intensifies. And Rachel weeps. And Rachel weeps. You know, there is much weeping in our world because people continue to deny the gift of God. God's gracious light poured out, made present in the world through the church. People continue to deny it. And as they deny it, the darkness only intensifies you know perhaps instead of asking people what they believe about God we need to begin to ask people what they believe about themselves and what they believe about the world around them and we might need to ask that about ourselves as well is our world basically filled with good people who are trying really hard and just need an occasional boost? I think today, I don't know, when did it start that every day now is um, something about, it's like today, it's like I don't mind National Donut Day. I think that's a good day. National Bacon Day, I think that's a good day. Today's National Inspiration and Positive something or the other day. I don't know how these things happen, but hey, think positive thoughts right now? No. Um, but that's the way our world operates. That's the way our world operates. We just need an occasional boost to kind of get through. Is that how you see yourself? Is that how you see the world? Basically a good person just need a helping hand occasionally to kind of make it through. 
Or do we see the world as the Bible would present it and the Apostle John saw it when he wrote that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one? That's a completely different worldview, isn't it? All over our region today, People are denying the light, the true light of Jesus that has come into the world, thinking that all they need to kind of get through life is an occasional boost. And what they do not realize is that they are being held within the power and the grip of evil to such an extent that it will destroy them eternally. As I preached in Advent, when Mary conceived the child who would be king, the Jews, the king of the Jews, a collision took place. Yes, evil was moved off the mark, but for the enslavement of evil to be broken, the child of Mary, Jesus Christ, would have to be put to death. A horrific death. Death on the cross. It would be through his death then that the penalty of our sin would be paid. It would be then through the resurrection of Jesus that the power of death would be broken. You see, the human condition doesn't need an occasional boost. It demands a miracle. The human condition and the world in which we live demand a miracle. And the miracle was given. The baby, born of Mary. The child, the Magi come to worship. The man, Christ Jesus. And you know what this baby did? Well, he did it, you know, yes, throughout his entire humanity. But at the cross and in his resurrection, he did something. And we don't often think of this in terms of our nativity scenes. But let me, uh, we'll have it put up on the screen and we'll show you exactly what he did. This is from Colossians chapter number 2 and verse number 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them. It doesn't appear that this baby in the manger can do much at all. It doesn't appear that this child, that the Magi come to worship, can do much at all. It doesn't appear that the man hanging on the cross accomplished anything at all with his life, except he did. He did what no one else could do. He disarmed the rulers and authorities by putting them to open shame and by triumphing over them. Those rulers and authorities weren't uh, flesh and blood. The prince of the power of the air, the spirits that now are uh, deceiving and holding people uh, in their darkness. Jesus comes and he disarms them. He puts them to open shame and he triumphs over them. As we learn to tell the whole story of the birth of our Lord, we come to realize that what is offered to the weeping people of this world is a gift. 
The comfort Rachel needed is the comfort Jesus brings to weeping people. You see, the cosmic battle that Charlene read for us out of Revelation 12 continues. The dragon is still waging war on the offspring of the woman. Righteous people are weeping today just as Rachel's children wept in the slaughter of the innocents. But yet, there breaks a more glorious day. For the promise is, when the crucified, risen Christ ascends, and he ascends from his exalted throne in heaven, that he will return in power and glory, that he, yes, will judge the living and the dead, but he also will make his kingdom visible. Death will be no more. This came once again so very real to me this past week. As I stood at the bedside of a dear friend, sister in Christ, who was a faithful part of this church for so many years. And the harshness and the hardness of being in a room full of people waiting for their loved one to take her last breath. And any of us who have been in that situation knows how difficult it is to know if it is the last breath or not. And then to say, yes, it is. And our dear sister Joyce, in a glorious moment, is moved from her earthly life into her heavenly life with Jesus, where her her spirit is secure and waiting until the day her body is raised gloriously and she walks in the new heavens and the new earth with all of the saints who have gone before and with us, the redeemed. And as I stood there and I, I prayed and um, Brother uh, Robbie Langford from New Hope was there in the room as well and we shared the good news of Jesus. I was reminded that death will be no more. Crying, no more. Pain, no more. The former things passed away. You know, if ever I get uh, to build my nativity scene, or I should say if somebody builds it for me, wouldn't want me building it. But if ever I find a way to get my nativity scene built, it would have Colossians 2.15 hanging over it. So that everyone who looked at it would know that the baby Mary is holding in her arms and the shepherds are worshiping is the one who disarmed rulers and authorities. That the child the Magi gave gifts to and worshiped is the king who disarmed rulers and authorities. If you really want to keep Christ in Christmas, then learn the whole story, including the story of wicked King Herod, who orders the murder of all the male children two years old and under. And why do we tell that part of the story? We tell it because our hope and the hope of weeping parents and the hope of children who are still being brutalized today in an evil and wicked world, their hope and our hope is the same hope. Hope's name is Jesus Christ. 
And even though it doesn't look like the Prince of Peace has come at all, he has come. Evil has been moved off the mark. And at this very moment, at this very moment, those weeping parents in Bethlehem and those children slaughtered are around the throne of grace, worshiping the King who not only saved them from their sins, but will save us from our sins as well. For the house of David and the house of God is now one house who through Jesus Christ has put evil to open shame, has triumphed over evil through his death and through his resurrection. And we, by his grace, live in the victory Christ has won. We live in that victory. So let me ask you, how far are you willing to travel to worship Jesus Christ? I don't mean in physical distance. How far are you willing to travel in surrender of your life to worship Jesus Christ? should really think about that. If you say not far, then I would suggest that the light is being dimmed, and the darkness is growing, and the outcome will not be good. But, but if you say, I want to surrender more, I want to give more, I, I want to know this Jesus more, then know this, that the king who broke the darkness is still breaking it today. The light that you have been given in this very moment is not a neutral thing. It is a powerful thing that God has sent into our lives today to help us then to have a much deeper and fuller surrender to this king who breaks darkness. So let us then, by God's grace, plead with him today for his help. Let us plead with him today for his help. Let us be bold to ask him to break the power of indifference or fear or whatever might be holding you back, pride or, or some kind of past bad experience with the church or some kind of unknown in your future. Pray and ask him to break the power of indifference to break the barrier of pride so that you can, by his grace, bring a life of surrender and lay it down at his feet and say, oh God, by your grace, break the darkness in my life. Break the darkness in my life. The one who has come is still breaking darkness today. And may we as a church be faithful to give out the light, to pray for one another, to challenge one another, to help one another in love and grace, to overcome any darkness that we might walk truly in his light. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word that has come to us this morning. We thank you, Father, for the instruction that it brings. We thank you for the challenge of Jesus. 
that he is not some neutral figure in some religious act. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. I pray for the weeping of our world, all of its brokenness, its undoneness, a world that you will put back together and make new when you return. Between now and the moment that that happens, there is time for us then to surrender. There is time for us to come confessing our sins and trusting in you. As you remain in prayer, examining your own heart and life before this word, I will once again make this offer to any who would like to take me up on it. If you would want to know more about what it means to have saving faith in Jesus, if you're ready to travel the full distance into his grace and full surrender to him, I am willing to pray with you, sit with you, talk with you, counsel you, show you the way as best I can, and challenge you to give your life fully to him. You pray right now. If you do desire to know more, Talk to me afterwards, and let's set up a time to meet. For now, let's be quiet before the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.